This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Little Oven Pizza of Merced. Oh, yeah. Back oh, yeah. at it again. Um, let's pull up the Instagram page, Cal. Here we are. Check out their daily specials, what they got what wow. they got for us. We got the Ricola and the Santucci. Looking good. Uh, Ricola with white, bacon, uh, honey, parm. Honey. Yeah, that, that sounds exotic. That sounds that's that's ambitious. That sounds that's ambitious, very ambitious. Honestly. Roasted peppers, oregano on that Santucci. Uh-huh. Get down there today and grab yeah. those specials. It's, it's looking good. good. It's yeah. good. I've never tried the San. Have you the tried the Santucci? Is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite special of all time? B thousand. B thousand. I love B thousand. Where yes. like B E E? Yeah, like B E E. The oh, honey, honey oh, bee. Oh, they have honey There's on the pizza. There's honey on it, and it's delicious. So, so you agree with honey on on pizza? I'm good with it. Honey on pizza. I also like pineapple. I'm just gonna clarify. Yeah, no, that's fine. We're you already know, getting no, into no judgment zone here. No judgment zone. What did it taste like? Was it surprising though? The the honey on on pizza? It just gives it like a nice little finish. It's 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 hard so it to explain. It, but it's not like it the sweetness clash. isn't overpowering. No, it's just enough to like. And, and just how much give is on there? Is it just like a few? It's drops, just like a little drizzle. A little drizzle. Yeah, on you're, top. Like, you're freaking dipping it or Imagine. something like that. Yeah, I'm yeah. dipping it in honey. I'm like Pooh Bear. I'm just putting the honey all uh-huh. over it. Yeah, but that yeah sounds great. And again, this showcases their creativity with when it comes to oh, pizza, yeah. and of course. Everything that com- comes out of there is delicious. Local ingredients, fresh Local ingredients. ingredients. All California Local grown. Business. You already know. Uh, and with that said, I guess we should cue the music and get started with our fourth episode of the David and Cal Show. Or as I prefer, the Cal Show. <laughs> hey, everyone. We're back at it again with another episode of the David and Cal Show. Oh, yeah. This uh, is fourth, fourth episode? Fourth episode. Fourth um, episode. I'm your host, David Chen. I'm your host, Cal Slotten. And today we have a very special guest with us, one who is now um, teaching in her, remind me again, fourth year. Uh, this is Miss Downey. She's our beloved AP Physics and oh, yeah. Physics or Science teacher here at Merced High School. Welcome to the show, Miss Downey. Thank you guys so much for asking me to come on. Yeah, no problem. And, and you're obviously our first teacher as well uh, on this on the David. You're, br- and Cal you're breaking show. ice awesome. here. I, can, yeah. I feel pretty special. Yeah, on the frontier, and you know we've invited students on but so far we've i guess now we've branched out and our mission statement originally was to you know showcase student passions and all that but at the same time we shouldn't forget that teachers as well have accumulated a lot of knowledge oh yeah and i mean we're here to to take not only students perspectives but also teachers perspectives yeah and i think they go hand in hand right oh whatever yeah. a student learns a teacher knows and whatever a teacher learns a student probably knows as well so it's a good back and forth, and I think we should at least have a diverse perspective on a lot of things, and that includes having teachers on this podcast as well. It's definitely. Yeah, so let's just get started. Um, I've taken your class. I've been one of your students. Uh, it was a great experience. I as well. Yeah, uh, actually, we were in the same class. I yeah. kind of forgot about that, but, and it was AP Physics. So, and when I took your class, it was your first year teaching AP Physics, right? Yes. Um, how'd that feel for you? Like, was it, what were the challenges I had to go through? I think to start with, I felt like I had... Uh, previous teachers to live up to because we ha- had the same teacher who did an excellent job for 30 years because when I inherited Mr. Freitas's room he told me that he'd been in that room since 1986 which is Jesus. before I was born yeah, the equipment only in by there a year but I mean old. It, it, it was a, a large kind of daunting shadow that I felt like I needed to live up to because he's such a presence on our campus and then on top of it feeling like I could prepare you guys for the AP exam and being successful and and it, it's deeper than just being prepared for the exam like you're not learning this for no reason the physics is important and trying to figure out how to deliver the content to you and in, in a way that was effective like that's scary plus yeah. some of you guys are smart 
very smart. And it's it's taking a step back to like accept the challenge from your students to make you a better teacher uh-huh. and like figure out how to balance that with what you planned on doing compared to like what you end up needing to do because you need to reach your students. Right. You have to adapt on the job, right? Exactly. exactly. You guys know about adaptability. Heck yeah. And, and going from, you know, Ag Earth for what, it would be two years? It's just Earth Science. Oh yeah, Earth, Earth Science. Science. Sorry, sorry, Earth sorry. Space and Science. Yeah, going from Earth Science and then moving to uh, not only an AP class, but one of them with one of the most infamously hard tests as a physics. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a rough change. How was it, you know, transitioning from Earth Science to a higher level class such as AP Physics? So I think they both have great challenges to them. And so transitioning in the content isn't necessarily a problem because Earth and Space Science has a lot of physics in it. And I think that's what really helps me as a, a geoscience teacher is that I have a good background in physics. But what um, is a challenge is adapting between class periods. So even my earth science classes, I don't necessarily teach them the same because I have different students in each class. Yeah. And even though I'm teaching them the same content, I'm trying to keep them on the same like path, path each day. Yeah, keep them in as a class, you know what I mean? Sometimes I can't even do the same activity or assessment because I want to make sure I'm reaching all my students yeah. and then going from like teaching couple periods of our science to whoa AP physics and it's like a complete different um, pacing and student population and um, I really find like at least with the AP classes you guys are really driven because you're in that class and you're like prepared to try to reach that higher potential like that's why you're choosing to take the class and so it just kind of makes it uh, a little different so i have to like take a mental moment to kind of reset my brain before i go into talking about the next topic because it's it's not the content it's the way i'm teaching it to you guys yeah i think as students when we walk into a class and everything is just set in place and we just see what's going on in front of us i don't think we realize that you're switching to different curriculum and different uh, like adjusting to different students and you know, catering to different students' needs. So mm-hmm. it seems like a daunting task at times. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that goes double for AP, AP teachers as well because most AP teachers don't just teach an AP class but also a normal class. And obviously the, uh, you know, discipline levels and the maturity levels could be different. I mean, they could be te- teaching multiple grade levels as well. I mean, you could be teaching freshmen and yeah. seniors or and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I think we take that for granted. You're right that yeah. you know teachers have to adapt a lot and change a lot of their pacing and and attitude from period to period. So it's like shifting gears. You're yeah. on a mountain bike and you're like you reach different terrains, so you just gotta change gears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. perfect going. analogy. Yeah. Now I think Earth Science on campus has kind of a bad reputation, and I th- I never even knew the importance of Earth Science until I took the test, the CAPS test. Oh, right. And the science section yeah. is just loaded with earth science and astronomy. And I was... And astronomy, right? Yeah, astronomy, I was, I was just... Uh, yeah, it, it caught me. Yeah, for, it just caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting a lot of content based on that. Because I never took either of those classes. And I don't even, is astronomy even uh, off? That's integrated into earth science, yeah, right? It's integrated in earth science, yeah. yeah. Right. And it's, it's something, actually, we just ha- we've been having meetings at the district level to talk about how we're taking our science classes and adapting them to the next generation science standards. And some teachers already have started moving into that. But NGSS is based on a four-year science pathway, and we have three years of science. So at, if that was the case, we aren't getting you that fourth year of, of science that's required for that CAPS yeah, test. Yeah, yeah. And even then, you're taking that as a junior. So even if we had four science classes yeah, your to take, year doesn't you really wouldn't matter. get that. Yeah. You'd have no room for AP classes. You'd have no room for electives. So what we're working on is um, taking our normal biology, like life science, 
and chemistry, physical science, and physics and integrating earth science into them mm. so that in future classes, you'll be getting those things. You'll be getting a little bit more earth in, in biology. You'll be getting a little bit more astronomy in physics. And so I think down the road we'll get that, but I feel like earth science gets kind of a bad rap too. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge gap that I didn't have filled when I took that test. Like, it was just a lot of knowledge that I didn't have, and I was, it, I had to think hard about those questions. I mean, when, when you were hit with the biology and yeah. the physics, yeah, I was prepared. Exposed to them, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been exposed. But Earth, I, I've been barely exposed. Now, I, I mean, I think Earth is you do a little bit in eighth grade, and I think it's mm -hmm. just, uh, but it's a come and go subject. But then you yeah. move straight into biology usually. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the classic pathway for like high schools, high schoolers at least, is biology, chemistry, chemistry, physics, and then. I think that's it, right? Yeah, Biology, and chemistry, you get electives yeah. in and then, yeah, if you have any more, right. Is, do you think there's a difference between geology and earth science when it comes to curriculum? So when we're talking about straight up geology, we're looking mostly at processes on earth, the rock cycle, things like that. When you're looking at geoscience, um, well, earth science in general is the class, it's technically earth and space science. So we're throwing in that astronomy portion, which is about a third of the curriculum, and we're looking not just at um, how Earth works and what the Earth looks like, but we're looking at how we interact with Earth. So like uh -huh. our the last section of the new NGSS Earth Science is how humans interact with Earth and what impact do we have on the Earth and what is the effects of the Earth's changes on us. Right. So like we take for granted sometimes natural disasters and here in California a lot of us live with earthquakes every day. Like uh -huh. maybe yeah. not here in the valley, but I mean it's not like we haven't experienced them. And that's where you, is really your only opportunity to learn about that stuff, um, unless you participate in the Great Shakeout, which is uh, <laughs> yeah. earthquake drill. Mm, but yeah. um, there's a lot of information that's really relevant, and I think a lot of students miss out on it. Is, cli is climate change a discussion in earth science? Mm -hmm. oh, and that's, that's a huge issue. Like, it I is mean. huge. I mean, we just had the yeah. National uh, Assembly for Climate Change on Friday, and, right. and students all over the world joined in on that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that my students can come up with solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just an example, I guess we can take this into a, b a bigger world perspective, but like you said in that uh, climate change uh, summit, um, I don't know if you guys heard the story of this one one student, uh, Gre Greta, Greta, Greta Thunberg, Th Thunberg something mm -hmm. like that. Um, she's, what, 16, 15, 15 years old? And she went in front of world leaders and, you know, criticized their approach to climate change and you know, admonish them to, to you know, make some legislation to change that. Um, do you think climate change is discussed enough in science classes? I think that we definitely discuss it, but we just discuss it. We don't really look at solving. We don't look at the problem-solving aspects of it. And a lot of our discussion is just, this is the way it is, and we don't look at, we don't debate it, we don't look at pros and cons, we don't look at cause and effect. We just kind of say, here's the information, this is what's been happening, dire straits. Mm -hmm. But we aren't actually taking that deeper and looking at it because I so admire that young lady for going up and standing in front of world leaders yeah, and she, being she, passionate she a lot of and starting a conversation. So I think starting the conversation is important, but it's so much more important for your guys' generation to like look at what are the solutions and, yeah, and what that can starts you do. that starts in the classroom you, you, you it the, starts in the classroom yeah. and it starts at your homes like i can say if i went out to um the the uh, 
waste disposal, the dump out on Highway 59, and I go out there and I look at the amount of trash and the stuff that's thrown away. It's like, why is that thrown away? Why isn't it recycled? How have we become such a throwaway society? When I was a kid, we get our TV repaired by a TV repairman that we had on speed dial <laughs> on a landline phone. Yeah. You know, that oh, thing wow, you guys man. have never seen before? Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was like a part of our family. He'd bring me Christmas presents and stuff, you know. And nowadays, if your TV breaks, what do you do? You go buy a new one. Oh, right. they have Best Buy has a sale for like five hundred dollars, fifty. And you just inch. toss out you your old one. Just toss out your old one and go one. buy a new one. And so it's it's looking at little things. It's it's bigger than okay. We're not going to use straws anymore, right? Because straws are bad. Because um, I think a lot of a lot of the policies that we have in the United States prevent a lot of that. But it's other things like what changes can you just make in your personal life of being more responsible with the things that you have and being less of a throwaway society or building things that last a long time. Like I, I, a lot of older people will be like, oh, they don't make things like they used to. But that's true. Like you can't really repair stuff anymore. If your car breaks down, just go get a new car. Right. I, I, think, I think it has to do with, uh, however, a lot of the attitude that goes around because one of the main arguments or one of the classic things that you see about climate change is like, oh, we're trying to ban straws to save the turtles, but then someone says, we can ban all the straws in the world, but then, you know, some millionaire is going to get on their private jet, fly across the, uh, fly across the um, nation or something, and contribute to a lot of emissions. Mm -hmm. But that just shifts the blame, and I think that's where our generation, or at least students in classrooms, really have to shift their perspective, because I think beforehand, when climate change wasn't that much of a discussion in classrooms, you know, if it's not discussed, people won't think about where it's coming from. And I think instead of shifting the blame, students can now, or at least in classrooms, teachers can consider, you know, creating discussion to really try to solve the problems exactly. with their yeah, initiative definitely. instead of saying, you know, instead of pointing fingers and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Because, you know, logically speaking, if you point fingers when it comes to something like climate change, nothing's going to get that. Well, yeah, nothing I mean, gets it's done a, It's anyways. a team effort. It's not just... It's, it's not just that it's a team effort. Like, if you're constantly shifting blame, well, can't all of those things have some type of contribution? And, I mean, we can talk about how much the Earth is contributing itself through its natural processes. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people say, well, that gets discounted. Um, yeah, it does get discounted, and we, we have plenty of data that shows that a volcanic eruption can put much more CO2 in the atmosphere than cars driven for a year. But that's not the point. Yeah, it really we, isn't. we can't really control what the earth does. We can lessen the contributions that we make. And even if you are blame shifting, there's going to be something that you can still do yourself that's going to make a difference. I mean, some things you can't really stop progression, but hey, you know, we have technology right now and we have a lot of bright young minds and it's taking your minds and using your technology wisely to come up with solutions for that. Right. And again, any climate change denier, I would say, is not, well, w w would you say there's still are students now, like in high school, that don't agree with climate change or don't believe in climate change? I don't know if there are students that don't necessarily agree with it. Um, I think Maybe students, doubters. they might I doubt a little bit. I think there's definitely, there's definitely doubters. There's doubters, but I think that they doubt because they don't, we don't have conversations like this. They're being told that one big thing is causing all the problems yeah. instead of looking at what we can do in general as a whole to just reduce our taxing of the resources of Earth. And our, yeah. I, mean, we, I mean, there's things that we need. We need an atmosphere. We need CO2 in our atmosphere so that we can survive. But how do we keep that balanced? What happens to the CO2? Where does it go? Does it stay there forever? What's the rate at which it leaves our atmosphere and goes into space? And there's things that we never really get to talk about. And 
frankly, they're not even in our standards sometimes. Yeah. We, we get a, a, a basic standard of we have to cover this, but we don't always get, like, and if a teacher's not comfortable with talking about that, then there's something that's going to be missed. Or if the students aren't willing to put in that inf- the, the attention to it because they've kind of discounted it or they don't think it's a big deal or they don't think they can make a difference, then they're not even going to get that information because they've tuned it out already. Yeah, I think our age group is actually a really good age group to be focusing on climate change because we... I mean, it's, it's the necessary one because we're only the ones that not only the is it, that's, yeah, Not yeah. only is it the necessary one, but we don't have a lot of things to actually focus on. I know we're in school and maybe we have sports going on, but we haven't even... Some of us haven't even received our first paycheck. So we can look at issues that many adults don't have time to look at. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. So yeah. looking at climate change, we, we can apply a lot of focus to it and make a conversation surrounding it. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, you bring up a really good point. I have, uh, I have a, kind of a short story here. I have, uh, my older brother, um, he works at a tech company, and he has a friend who, um, you know, we were playing tennis together, and I was talking to him about this idea of, of universal basic income and, and how we would tax, like, you know, tech companies like Amazon, Google, yeah. and all that. And then, obviously, he works at a tech company, so he disagreed with it. And that got me thinking, and I told him about this, like, once you grow up and once you you know, earn some paychecks and realize how difficult life is and have to go through the motions of, of all those difficulties, you lose that optimism, I think. Definitely. When you, when you, you definitely go, do. You know, sounds, sounds pretty messed up, but I think that's, and I told him, and, and you know, he was like, oh, you're a little naive thing. You haven't received yeah. your paycheck yet. And you don't know what income taxes yet. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, I may be naive, but, you know, at least I maintain that optimism. You're optimistic and that optimism lets you have ideas. Right, right. Because once, I think once you become an adult, uh, you kind of have to put shaders on that kind of shield you away from any idealistic worldview. Yeah, I mean, you're already dealing with your own issues and you uh don't want to be overwhelmed, not only thinking about what's going on in your life, but bigger issues. But by by putting things aside, if we all had that uh, like way of thinking that we all just oh bigger issues don't matter anymore, then we won't get anywhere. Yeah, but I mean demographics point point to that. Older people generally tend towards conservative Republican yeah. point of view as well. At the same time, we we all know that the democratic pr- demographic is largely made out of younger generations, right? Gen Z, millennials, yeah. and all that. And I mean, there there must be an explanation. I think that's that's what it is. Once <laughs> once life beats you down enough, you don't want things to change. I don't yeah. think it's beating us down, but no, no, no. Um, okay. it's it's more it, like it's mean, experience. It's, it's yeah, life yeah, experience. Yeah. So yeah. and I, I and this always kind of bothered me because you know you try sometimes, I I I feel like I'm a pretty well rounded person because even when I was younger, like I was a only child for several years until yeah. my parents like said, hey, we should have another kid, and so um, my grandma watched me a lot when I was little, so I always like was around adults, but till I was about five. So I have all these like very vivid memories of like being almost a little adult when I was a kid because all the adults would like hang out with me or take me to eat at nice restaurants for lunch, like because um, like when you're retired and stuff, you, that's what you do because you don't work anymore. And so uh, I always felt like I had all this like, like experience from talking to older people. So then when I had to go around my peers, it was harder for me because I was <laughs> like, I'm used to talking to other people. But um, where was I going with this? Uh, I think that you get these life experiences. So you're young and you're naive. You're, it's not that you're naive. No, I mean, it's just you're optimistic. I think we and, and we yeah, call definitely. it we call it Pollyanna, right? Generally, when you talk to older people, they'll say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't lived. You don't have any life experience. I don't have to listen to what you say because you haven't been in my shoes. Mm. Yeah, but also they haven't necessarily been in my shoes because things have changed a lot from when you were my age to now. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's a different it's a different dynamic and I, I don't like to see adults not take s- younger people seriously mm-hmm. or but I would right? or be condescending about it like the condescending parts what's the problem it's much better if you talk like if someone tells you oh, you don't know what you're talking about you're so naive and young and youthful and wait to start paying taxes and then you're like you don't know me you don't know what I've been through but if you were saying I see what you're saying and that makes a lot of sense take it from this perspective or like what we say in education not look at it through a different lens look at it through my lens where I have a you know, a family that I'm taking care of, or I am working in this in that sector that you're talking about taxing, and this is how much money I lose from my paycheck to pay taxes to pay for something else. Right. It's it's just you're looking at this life through a different lens of per, of perspectives and experiences and. Yeah, I mean, for a student perspective, even, you know, the, I guess we can. It's pretty easy to explain why we're why we're so crazy about climate change. I mean, you know, older adults sometimes. I can see this on Twitter as well. Like they're all just kind of admonishing us. What are you guys doing? This is just crazy. You're just you know doing this for attention or stuff like that. But in our perspective, right? We're going through school. Me and Cal are getting ready to go to college. We're envisioning tons of debt, a lot of money, putting into something that hopefully is our future. But at the same time, scientists are now telling us, you know, the Earth is being demolished right now we have permanent unreversible damage permanent unreversible damage that could potentially lead to worldwide catastrophe we're here in our class you know taking notes and it's like what is this all for so Mm -hmm. in terms of student perspective if any adults are considering or at least should consider this you know we are in a very weird you know stage where why are we doing anything in life if everything is so chaotic it it reminds me of the point um i don't think any of us were alive at this point but when Cold War was, was going on. We learned mm-hmm. this in history, right? Yeah. Cold War was going on and everyone was afraid of nuclear catastrophe. And it was during that time when like surrealism came up and our were like life has no meaning anymore because, you know, one day everyone could just get, you know, atomized mm-hmm. by a bomb or something right. like that. Like you had drills where you had to get under your desk, but right. I mean we Imagine have how scary that drills. was. Yeah. No. So, I mean I have to like salute I have to salute adults who take time to debate and have discussions with the young people. You know what I mean? I mean, it's hard to maybe take a, someone seriously if you think that you're more experienced with them. But even if you disagree with someone like, I have a great example, uh, Marco Rubio stood on the Senate floor and had a discussion with the uh, people who were victims of the Florida shooting. Mm. And, you know, just taking time to hear them out and have a discussion, even if you do have disagreements, it's, it's honorable. It's a re- yeah, one could argue that was a PR stunt as well. But oh, yeah. I, well mean, I, mean, I don't know. PR I don't want to be too not, like, if, you, if you take the time to like, at least let people be heard, even if you're not actively listening to them, like, it's being televised, yeah, it's being put out giving there. Them it's a, giving, giving them, them a platform. platform exactly. yeah. Which and is agreeable. Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about climate change and people will say, oh, it used to be global warming and then it used to be global cooling and now it's global whatever and there used to be a hole in the ozone layer and all these things that you hear about. And I even like I'll watch cartoons from when I was a kid and I look at how like things have changed in the discussions that they were talking about then to now it's funny like because you know current events gets into cartoons like it's it's like subtle getting the message in children's Mm -hmm. heads on Nickelodeon but uh, even when I was your age we talked about climate change right like it's it's not like this is a new concept this has been going on i think the difference now is that there's a there's a platform uh for people and it's not it's sad but i mean it's just showing that we've actually increased it's driven an increase in technology so that we can better monitor what's going on and get Mm -hmm. a better picture right because direct air capture the more the more we look into things and we adapt our technology and we reach that new point like look now we can almost predict earthquakes we have so much better weather tracking um 
um, we can almost, I mean, we can try to predict where a hurricane's going to make landfall. It doesn't always work, but I mean, we, we are getting better and better at uh, collecting data so we can make predictions. And that wasn't something that we necessarily had when I was younger either. So it's not that these discussions are new, it's just we have more data. I, I do, the only thing that I would like to see more of is um, competing data because I, I do feel like in science we need to have more people testing things and getting. Wait, what do you mean by competing data? Not, I think I phrased that wrong. What I mean is like more labs t collecting data in different ways so uh -huh. that we have comparisons to make. So yeah, that well we can, I mean, because I mean, the, the more you can. Yeah, it's more credible. Yeah, it's more right. credible well, when you can yeah, prove things with more repetition of an experiment or something like that, or more data from more areas, you can get better and closer to what we're talking about. And that's, right. you know, the driving force of science is that the more data, the better our science models are. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to remember, though, that in other news, like the autism and vaccine uh, incident, or well, not an incident, I would call it a catastrophe, worldwide catastrophe. Yeah. It only took one study and a false study with a false scientist to create all this pandemonium. So, you know, I, no, can't, really I, trust, I, I, know. I can't really trust the general public. But, that, but that's that's one. I'm not saying, like, for the general public. I'm yeah, saying I on know, a scientific yeah. perspective yeah, and in our field. Because yeah, yeah. um, the, this one thing, and I think that comes back down to when we're in school and how well we teach our students is you know, giving to, them to, the ability to think critically. Perfect. Yep, and I agree. see... You could get in that whole vaccine debate, and my thing is, I totally believe in vaccinations, yep, but I also should. believe in parent choice. And if if you know parents aren't going to vaccinate their kids, well, they just need to take care of their kids then. And well, but, but remember, like herd immunity and all that. No, so I know. I, and I'm an, and point, from a, a science perspective, safety. I mean, I have cattle. I vaccinate all my cattle. Uh huh. Wait, you have cattle? I do. Do you live on a ranch? I do. What? And, and yeah. chickens. How do you she not know is, that? I, I do not naggy. know that. Look at that, Maggie. learning on a podcast. I love it. There you <laughs> no, go. I'm just kidding. Um, I do have an important question for you, and as a teacher, I, um, I really want to know would you support um, adding climate change into curriculum for all science classes? Well, not all science classes, but like, for instance, high school science classes. Well, it's it's in the standards now. It is? And yeah, in, in it's, all? Like it's, even in it's in the earth science standards, and if they're integrated, then at some point in your you career, you're going to be talking about, you know, earth, human how, impact how on is earth. It, how is it integrated? Like, does it just basically students have to know the impact or something like that for climate No, it's going to be taught and it's part of the curriculum. It's a standard. And so it's so a California change. standard. Nice. It, there is a California like specific how that, NGSS. Uh, like, to make it its way into like a chemistry class or biology class, could we, could we just Probably say, what, what are the effects? Biology. Like, like what's the chemistry of climate change? How do yeah. you know well, what I mean? Look at it. I mean, when you're in biology, you're already learning about the greenhouse effect. Yeah. And that oh, yeah, most definitely. Ocean, ocean yeah, acidification yeah, yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so and I can see that. It's just going to be broadened. And I mean, it's going to take some time to get teachers to really be educated right. to talk about it well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that too, yeah. But it, it's it's really going to take some giving students an opportunity to debate it because there's going to be kids that, like, feel differently and they've got to have a chance to talk about it because, you know, what I'm struggling with right now? Flat earthers. That's really? Because of tweet, Twitter. Oh, okay. And you bring up a really good point. And this is why I wanted to bring up the um, sh should you put it in curriculum. Mm-hmm. We have two choices as a society when it comes to education and when it comes to treating us, treating our students. We can either let them learn information, whether it be false or true, on social media, or we can control the discussion in classrooms. And I think that's what we did wrong when cl if in climate change, where we just, you know, we don't discuss it in classrooms that too, too often with, you know, an informed debate with a teacher supervising stuff and providing information, credible information to students to then build off that debate 
Instead, since we don't do that, the only other form of, well, the only other source of information that students get get it from is is media. And, so, yeah, and as media. as great as media as we could possibly paint it as, it's not as credible. It's not as credible, and it simply isn't. And you know, we live in an age of media where they you know they want to make that one fancy headline: Earth is going to end in twelve years and stuff like that, or Climate change is not a human, obviously this is the other side of it, yeah. climate change is not a human-made catastrophe. So with those head, imagine students looking at those headlines or reading those, you know, exaggerated articles. Yes, imagine exactly, because, oh. I mean, it's almost like dire straits sometimes. If there's people that are saying, you've stolen my future because now I don't want to have kids and I don't want to have a job and I don't want to do these things because the world's going to end, like, what is that going to do for any kid? That just makes them it feel just, like they're, know, they're done. It's it creates useless, fear yeah. and use. Exactly. And, I mean, so what I don't a, see what that. What if a teacher is influenced by, by like, social media and whatnot? That, that could even yeah, be more dangerous. It's always a fear, but... Again, kids are more likely oh, yeah, to yeah, be definitely. influenced but than if, adults. But if we're, okay, like, you know, Spider-Man, Uncle Ben comes by and is like, with great power comes responsibility, great responsibility, and this is a great power. Oh, the phone? And that's a great power, Computer. and the internet is a great power, and are you using it for good? Are you using, like, treating it as a responsibility and not distraction? Everyone's really excited today because Mario Kart's out on their phones. Yeah, so you know how many, Wait, what? Yeah. yeah, Mario Kart's on the phone. Mario Kart's now on your oh, phone, snap. and yeah. that's what everyone was worried about today. Not, not, not the, cl- yeah, not what we were talking about. Yeah, well, and also media, you know, like hopscotches topics really quick. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, like one day trending is like a, a Donald Trump tweet, Mueller and then next yeah. week the climate change. Yeah, and then and then next week it's just suddenly like, oh, Cardi B did what? I, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. I stopped no. watching the news because I usually listen to like news on the radio on my way in or listen to podcasts because that's how I was getting my current events. Uh-huh. And I stopped for like a week because I just needed to kind of decompress and I feel like I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think we underestimate how useful it could be if we can use the classroom yes. as a source of information for current events and for news. And I, I've only had one classroom experience. So like one class where I've actually been met with current events. It was Bedrozo's Right, right exactly. Class. That's what I remember. He yeah. constantly brought up uh, current events and let us debate about it, which yeah. was really interesting. A lot of teachers just show a video or like a CNN 10, which yeah. I've seen is pretty common. <laughs> But actually allowing us to debate and have our own opinion on it, it was... And with him to oversee whether or not, you know, if you say something and it's wrong, you know, he, he'll tell you and everything. And I think at the same time, this is two sides of a coin, right? You can let students do this, but at the same time, you have to make sure with 100% certainty that the teacher isn't biased. You have to yeah. Be, yeah, you have to have a little bit of non-biasedness. I mean, even if you have a strong position on something, you you can't show it. Yeah, which is why I'm proud which, of what Pedroza yeah. did. He yeah. particularly made himself unbiased so that you know, mm-hmm. a healthy debate can go down. And this is what American democracy should be. Yeah, but really, no, it exactly. It Having a good conversation not. and being able to talk about, you know, both what's, sides. Yes. You know. And it's something that I'm actually trying to do more is I do it a lot in earth science because there's always something going on that I can relate to earth science, right? It's way harder to do that with like AP physics because I got to stick to getting you guys to know what's going yeah. AP physics. And right. I would try to take like, let's look, talk about this today. So just kind of take a little mental break. And I'm, this year, I'm actually trying to do it with every once in a while. I'm doing a pod, like having students listen to a podcast or a video once a week. My podcast? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, that's one of the things. Don't so right in, yeah, in, I heard in that. AP you. physics, I've been trying, especially, but I did it in all my classes, is trying to have them listen to like your podcast or a TED talk or something else that might TED be talk. relevant yes. Yes. because um, it helps them get some current events yeah. and relevancy. Otherwise, like 
kids feel like what they're learning in school doesn't matter when they leave school. Uh-huh. If we're making it relevant to them, then it's going to make more sense even, while you're learning. Even that. you, uh, in physics, you even somehow related to current events, and you would show us video. Oh, like right, yeah, NASA. When, they, yeah, when the time when uh, they they like launched the rocket. Yeah, exactly. Elon, um, um, sorry, SpaceX. Um, we, we watched, watched it live, live yeah. right? And then you would it show us some NASA stuff. stuff and link stuff on Google Classroom. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's perfect. And you know, I really got to say, I, I admire your um, your efforts. With with our cl- with our class, yeah, not can... only are you juggling, you know, using your own methodology and, and your own um, your own tools, and I, I really like the way you approach the class as well. But at the same time, you're and I looked up the statistics just now. You're hand, you're juggling this with literally the, the hardest, hardest test by yeah. definition by statistics, the hardest test, um, physics one, forty four point six percent passing rate, and it's the lowest out of all of them, with the highest being. Spanish language and studio arts being 90 and 89 percent. It's literally the lowest and not just the lowest, the lowest by, by a five percent margin. It's, it's a it's huge a drop huge. off. The I next, remember the next lowest is human geography at 49.1. I remember before I took that test, I was like, you know, let's just see what my odds so are said, here. Oh my and God, I was yeah. like, it's like Jesus. all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're in a tough position, Miss Downey, and you know, you're handling really well. So uh, we got to come into it. That makes that. me feel really good. But yeah, if, if you can relate to current topics in physics, then I think anyone can make an attempt in, in any subject too. I mean, physics is like the most theoretical and on-paper thing. And if you can make that attempt and make it work, then if you're given a topic like chemistry, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, again, physics, it's you can get lost really quickly by, you know, going over the equations and and just following the college board um, curriculum. But being able to make it an interesting class and and a more relevant class than just, you know, because I'm sure students are going to leave that class or leave any class like where it's super rigid and all that. Yeah knowing how to take a test, but not understanding how a deeper relates. reality yeah. of whether it's physics or something current that's related to physics. And that, I think, is where, where teachers should at least consider their path forward. So, um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. And, and um, we're almost out of time, but I um, just want to quickly jump into one last point when it comes to your um, your teaching. So you, you you said you were project-based learning as well. I mean, you, you were looking into project-based learning. Mm-hmm. Can you just quickly, because we're hoping to do another podcast more in-depth about project-based learning. Oh, yes. So just quickly for our readers, it's kind of like a little snapshot or like a trailer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Explain in briefest of words just what is proje- project-based learning. Okay. So project-based learning is literally taking some project and using that to deliver the content to our students. Instead of like so a lecture. Instead of like a lecture. Um, and sometimes we lecture. Like project is usually not like here's a project for a day, learn everything. It's like we're this is our end project and we're going to work our way to it. So there might be lectures. There might be um, days when you're just collaborating. But you everything might be researching. You might be to talking it. to people. Yeah. Um, getting guest speakers. And then I never got to do it for your guys' class because I was like so yeah, stressed just getting everything yeah. 44.1% <laughs> yeah. gotta remember that <laughs> I'm trying to do it in AP Physics this year um, but I did it with my earth science students and um, you know it didn't always turn out perfect they didn't always get something that I thought was like the best project ever but I think they picked up skills like talking to people and making things project management and project management is a big one and it's one thing I never really realized until I had to take it toward my capstone in college there are a lot of soft skills that I think our students need and we don't always realize that they may not get just sitting through a lecture or taking notes so it's like a vehicle to to not only help them you know make something some project that they're going to produce and show to public but also that they get a lot of skills in the meantime through this like vehicle of project-based learning yeah i love the idea of project-based i mean moving away from 
Worksheets is, is like a big <laughs> Anything goal. away from worksheets? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll I'm take it. For it. Yeah. And I mean, that's like how I did most of my like original learning. And before I got an education, like this isn't my first career, but I did a lot of um, volunteer work with 4-H. I've been doing that for a long time. And I did a lot of curriculum piloting and development, and I was on a state committee for that. And 4-H is basically project-based learning, but when the way we're doing it at our school is a lot more structured. There's like a little bit less that you can, you know, it's, it's not as varied. You kind of have a, a end goal that everyone has in common, mm-hmm. but the way you get to that end goal is student choice. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you again. I had a wonderful discussion. A great conversation. Touched on a bunch of topics. Mm-hmm. So thank you again, Miss Downey. Thank you so much for having me. It was always great to talk to both of you. Right. And thank you to our audience um, for listening on our fourth episode of the David and Cal Show. Yay. And we'll, I guess we'll see you next time. See you.